Welcome to Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship with Pastor Jim Swiger. And uh, remember there we saw, write the vision and make it plain and containing the various woes coming against Babylon in whom God was going to judge. And remember back in chapter 1, at the beginning of our study of Habakkuk, remember Habakkuk was concerned. He was struggling, wondering why the Lord was not intervening, why the Lord was not bringing judgment, as God is a God of, he's just. And then he called out to God, and wanting to know why. Why are you silent? And then God answered him and told him, listen, I'm going to do a work that you're going to be utterly astounded with. And he shared with him, I am going to raise up the Chaldeans. And that hit hard to Habakkuk. So he's trying to uh, wrestle with, or he's wrestling with this, trying to understand, and then we saw how the dialogue continued between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk came to the place, remember, where he, he went off and got alone with God. And again, that's such a good reminder for you and I. Not only that we're living in the days that we're living, but any time. And remember what Habakkuk means, his name. Remember? Embracer of God. Embracer of God. And so when you think about the name Habakkuk, what do you think of? And I'm confident to say I have no doubt that the Lord is speaking to every one of us in the days that we're living in. It's really relevant, isn't it, the book of Habakkuk, that God would raise up a nation that was an enemy to God and to the people of Judah, and God would use them to bring discipline. He would take them, his people captive, going to uh, Babylon. But we see a man here, the prophet, who experienced God. And as he continued to pray to God, he gained God's perspective. And you've heard that, right? Oftentimes for me, and that's kind of the theme for me. As, as a, for the church, that we would have God's perspective. It's so easy to be distracted with all the noise out there. Amen? All the noise. There's so much noise out there that is competing with our hearts and our minds. You know, the enemy wants to bring forth fear. He wants to bring anxiety. But the Lord, even in desperate times, he, he's the one who brings hope, just as we sang about this morning. Habakkuk, as he gained God's perspective, he was able to rejoice in the Lord. And Psalm 31.7 says, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy, for you have considered my trouble, you have known my soul in adversities. And so again, as Habakkuk, struggling, has dialogue with God, God answers him, tells him the truth, yes, judgment is coming, but remember, as we pick up here in the first three verses, God had promises. He had promised Judah of captivity, but yet there would be hope because that judgment was only for a period of time. So let's pick up in these first three verses. As Habakkuk at this, we're going to see, remember, all of chapter 3 is a prayer, a prayer put to song, put to music, song of praise, 
Verse 1 says, A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet of Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for this study that we've had in Habakkuk. And Lord, today, as we look at these final verses, the final chapter, Lord, that you would show us your glory. Lord, that you would remind us of the work that you've already done in our lives. And the Lord, that you want to continue to work. Lord, there's so much here, and I pray for your spirit to bring application to each one. That we, just like Israel, would look back to the work that you had done, and the work that you were doing, and the work that you're going to do. And that we would see that our God is big. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title of this morning's message is, How Big Is Your God? How big is your God? As we read these first three verses, remember last week we focused on the context of the prayer coming from Habakkuk was he was asking God to bring revival. And we see here specifically in wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk knew judgment was coming as God had shared with him, as the prophet shared. He knew it was coming. He knew that God's people deserved it. But he also had hope and knew that God's a God of mercy. The location here is interesting. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Tron. If you have a Bible map in the back of your Bible, you can turn there if you want. <laughs> but it's interesting when you look at the Bible map and the location that God uh, is showing and Habakkuk pointing to here, Timon, if you look in a Bible map, is the land of Edom in between the Dead Sea and the Gulf of Elah. And the Mount Paran, a mountainous uh, desert area west of Edom in the Sinai Peninsula. And again, if you look at that map, especially in the back of your Bibles, you have different maps. If you have a Bible without maps, maybe you should buy one for Christmas. There you go, Alan. Plug for you. But sometimes we take maps for granted. But it's interesting how God is, you know, pointed to Habakkuk, this location. And we recognize the location. We understand that this is where God delivered the Israelites. God did an amazing work, delivering his people from Egypt. And it's interesting here we have this word, Selah. And remember this prayer of Habakkuk responding to God? was put to music. This would be for all the people of Israel to sing and to recognize God's goodness. And isn't that the amazing thing about Habakkuk? And I love this throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, especially with David. As we read of David's trials, of his tribulations, his times of struggling with God, and then how often do we read, I waited upon the Lord. I wait upon the Lord. Meaning, got along with God. It's amazing how when we get alone with God, things change. Amen? But how often is it that when things change in our life, it's ultimately our wills lining up with God's? 
but circumstances don't change. I love reading in the Psalms of David, he would be fit to be tied. He's like, Lord, just sock him on, right? Paraphrase. But by the end of the Psalm, by the end of the thought, the meditation is, is like praising God. And his circumstances didn't change. And that's what we're seeing here with Habakkuk. He got alone with God. He's waiting on the Lord. The Lord's showing him these things. But the circumstances were the same. God was bringing forth judgment. Judgment was going to come. It was going to be horrible at the hands of Babylon. They were going to be taken captive, taken from their own land and taken to, to, to Babylon. It was going to be horrible. Yet his focus was is that he could rejoice in the Lord. And so isn't it interesting when God does this to you and I? And I believe now this word selah, right? It can't be 100% sure what it means, but most commentators and scholars point to the fact that this was a point for musicians to stop, that the congregation would be able to uh, meditate or ponder, chew on, if you will, and really think about what is being said. And when you do this here, we see that God wants his people to look back at what he's done. Now, does that God do that to you and I? Absolutely he does. The Holy Spirit. In fact, when we read this, we should reflect on what God has done for you and I. Well, Jim, that's historical. This is Egypt. What, what do we got of being taken out of Egypt? Well, a lot. Because Egypt is a type of the world. Amen? We know that from the scriptures. We can never say as a born-again believer that God hasn't done anything for us. Because he has. He's delivered us from our own Egypt. He's delivered us. He's delivered us from bondage and sin and Thank you so much for Brother Tyrone clearly pointing out communion this morning. And for you and I, we can always look back to the cross. We always have that experience of having our sins forgiven. Yes, absolutely. We positionally, we are, we are righteous. We are justified. But then there's that practical experience of knowing our sins are forgiven. And we can always go back to that point, and we should go back to the cross. Where else should we go? To go back to the cross, to go back to the word, to look at his promises. And I challenge us, and I know, you know, Christmas sometimes, this season can get out of whack, right? Amen? Anybody get busy this time of the year? Distracted? Worrying about gifts? Worrying about getting the tree up? All these, it just piles up, is what I'm trying to say. And we can lose out on the magnificence of what we are to be celebrating. That Jesus came. He was sent by God. He came in the flesh. He dwelt among men. It's amazing. And the, the whole scheme of life that the creator of this universe, who has created man, and remember there is a separation He's in glory. We're created beings. Our sin hinders us in our relationship with God. And he's created us for relationship and fellowship. He desires this from us. And yet there's that, that gulf, that, you know, the separation from God and man. And yet he sent, he sent his son to bridge the gulf. That man can be connected with him. And he did that through the person 
and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we're celebrating. That he came in the flesh. I mean, let's face it. Well, let's think about this. If you were God, and you're not, nor will we ever be, what would be your plan for the redemption of man? It's glorious, the plan of God that he would have. One who is so pure, holy, and righteous, and man in sin, that God can't even look upon sin. That God would be the Redeemer sending his Son into this world for man. This is our reflection. And God is such a God who, obviously, he knows what he's doing. But I hear people when they, you know, in the past, you know, you read the Bible and there's so much repetition in the Old Testament. God's always, you know, telling how he worked in their lives and everything. Why is that? Because Israel needed to hear it over and over again. And you and I, we need to read the scriptures and we need to experience God. And one way we experience God is to recognize how much he wants us to remember what he's done. And at Christmas time, we remember his great love for us, that he sent his son. And this goes well beyond just recognizing the very moment that you were saved. That's salvation, right? We praise God for our salvation. We should thank God for our salvation every day. But it's not just about getting saved at that one moment. It's our journey with God. The journey that he so much desires, that fellowship, and we can you know, go back and remember the things that God has done in our lives. The times that we were hurting. The times that we were depressed. Those times that it just seemed like the whole world was caving in on us. Go back to, to those times where you recognize God did something. And ultimately, you can always go back to the cross. Because at the cross, his love has been demonstrated. One of the things that we see throughout this passage, and um, certainly see in the Lord Jesus Christ, as continuing on here in verse 3, his glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Psalm 113.4 says, The Lord is high above all the nations, his glory above the heavens. It's interesting, not only did God deliver Israel, but remember he also, on Mount Sinai, gave the law to Moses. How amazing is that? Well, let's continue reading to see how amazing all of this is God wanting his people to look back and remember what he has done. Verse 4, his brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. His brightness, his radiance refers to God's holiness. And it connects when Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving the law, the holiness of God, and remember that he, he had to cover his face because of God's holiness. It was the presence of God. God was holding back, in a sense, his radiance because Moses wasn't able to receive it all. Verse 5, Before him went pestilence, and fever followed at his feet. So the connection here is the plagues. Remember, you know, one of the things that God used to deliver his people of Israel was the plagues. Um, that he put on the nation of Egypt. And here God is showing that and wanting them to 
be reminded how he destroyed the enemies of God, the enemies of Israel, and that he would do it again. You know, it's interesting, the many things that we read in the scriptures also foreshadows things in the future. And certainly as God brought forth judgment against Egypt with the different plagues, we also see a foreshadowing, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, the time period of the tribulation, the seven-year tribulation, especially that last three and a half years. And then verse 6 says, He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. So here the picture is that God surveying, measuring, weighing um, Israel's march to the promised land. Remember, he himself, he startled the nations and the mountains. Couldn't even stand in front of God and what he was doing. Again, not only salvation, you know, with the parting of the Red Sea, how glorious is the Jordan River being opened to fulfill God's promise for his people to live the life of victorious living in God, to enjoy and experience the promised land. And here in the Hebrew, it speaks of, the, the word measure here is, is weigh. And I find that interesting in that God, he's, he weighed the situation, he knows the weight, he measured, he knows it all. He knows the enemies of his people. He also knew the weight and the burden on his people. All the afflictions that they experienced. And God was bringing forth the deliverance. It's interesting when we look about today that just as we read in Psalm 31, you know, God knows the troubles of his people today. He knows the days that we're living in, obviously. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows the, the, the troubles, the, uh, you know, the, and trouble, so much can go into that word trouble. What ails you? What troubles you? What hinders you? God knows it all. He weighs out the situation. He knows it all. But nothing stops God from working out his perfect plan in our lives. Amen? Doesn't mean it's always pleasant. And remember that the theme throughout Habakkuk is the just shall live by faith. Shall live. Remember, revive. Even in the midst of troubled times, we are to live revived. The Lord gives that to us. It's interesting here, it says the everlasting mountains were scattered. Everlasting mountains. The mountains in Israel. I've been there once. And it changed my whole mind when I read the word mountains in the Bible. It's glorious. And then when you start picking up, you know, how David spoke of the mountains. You know, those mountains are huge, right? They don't move. But Jesus talked about moving mountains. And here the mindset is, there's nothing. The mountains scatter because they can't come against God's plan. The mountains were symbols of men and even nature. They're, they're permanent, but nothing stands in God's way. 
And by faith, nothing stands in our way. By faith, we can move mountains. Not us, but our faith in, in God. And so the word here is pointing us to remembering what God has done. It is glorious to see those mountains. My favorite is Mount Orbel by the Sea of Galilee. I just pictured Jesus on Mount Orbel. First of all, I thought, how did he get up there so fast in some of these scriptures? Because it wouldn't be such, but he's the son of God. <laughs> Duh. But you capture the love that Christ has for, had for his disciples and for us as he's up on Mount Arbel looking at his disciples when you read that in the scripture. Really reflects on God's love. And then it continues here. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction, the curtains in the land of Midian trembled. These nations to the east and to the west of the Red Sea trembled as God's people marched toward the promised land. God destroyed the Egyptians in the Red Sea where he delivered his people. And I think of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2. What God had done not only at the Red Sea, but also to those kings going into the promised land. Again, all looking back to what God. And then the marvelous work of God is even to the Gentiles and even to, like Rahab, she said she heard what God had done. And God was being revealed in mighty ways. And so, again, reminding the people. And again, this is all put to song. This is singing praise to God, recognizing what God has done. Again, judgment was coming. Captivity was coming. Verse 8 says, O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? So here God was revealed in the mighty and miraculous works when he turned the Nile uh, River into blood. He parted the Red Sea. He stopped the waters of the Jordan River that they would go forth on dry land. All of these obstacles to the deliverance of God's people. Think back to when you experienced salvation in the Lord. Now, some of you may have had that instantaneous one time hearing the gospel, having the Holy Spirit pierce your heart, and then bam, confession. Anybody have that? Raise your hand so I can see it. <laughs> Very good. That's awesome. Man, that's glorious. But for most of us, probably, it took some time. Amen? It took some time for the Spirit to work in our heart. It took me a long time. Months upon months, didn't it, James? It was short time, but it seemed like, you know, looking back at it, it wasn't just instantaneous like that. We know the Holy Spirit was working. He was with, he was working and, and, and setting things up. But think about those things that were hindering us. You probably can think back if you weren't the instantaneous type who got saved at the very moment, first time hearing the gospel. Think about the different things that came in your life that was distracting you, maybe to go to church. Anybody have that distracted? Or maybe you couldn't make it to church, you don't want to go to church, or any of those things? Or just 
you know, maybe you were supposed to meet at a potluck because that friend invited you to be around these other believers and something came up, you had to go to work or something. It's amazing how the enemy brings distraction. Even today, right? He brings distraction. But there's nothing too difficult for God. Amen? Again, all looking back to what the Lord has done. Verse 9 says, Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows. With the bow, God was ready to shoot the arrows of judgment against the enemies of his people. And this certainly speaks of God's covenant, his promises that he made to his people to protect them to aid them, to rescue them, to deliver them, not because of their goodness, but because of him, because he's worthy. And again, we have this word Selah here uh, to, to reflect on, on God's promises. God's promises. God has given many promises to us. Amen? And when I chew on this, when I chewed on this this week, handful of times, the Lord reminded me of one promise. He is for me. What about you? Can we claim that today, this morning? God is always for us. How often is it the enemy telling us, well, you blew it again. How can you have fellowship with God when you do this, when you do that? My goodness, you haven't read the Bible in three days. If you haven't read your Bible in three days, I'd love to talk with you, but not to bring condemnation. God's promises, and I'm sure and I hope that the Holy Spirit is reminding you some of the promises even now that God wants you to hear, to be reminded of, of his goodness, his faithfulness. You divided the earth with rivers. This could be reference to the bringing forth of the water from the rock that Moses, remember he struck the rock in the wilderness and providing Water for the people. Verse 10 says, The mountains saw and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by. The deep uttered its voice and lifted its hands on high. Now, I don't promote any movie uh, for the Lord. But the Ten Commandments is pretty awesome especially this scene as the Israelites are going and that water, isn't that awesome? You see Moses and it's just incredible. And I, I get goosebumps talking about it. But think about the reality of that is, that's real, that happened, and to think of God's people seeing this. Remember, they were fearful. Moses is ready to pray. The chariots are coming. It's like, don't pray, go. And they went and God delivered them. And then what? The water came over, what, the 600 chariots of Pharaoh. It's an it's amazing scene. I'm reminded of Jesus when he's in the boat with his disciples. And he said, peace, having authority over the elements, having authority over all creation. And, I, and this word deep here, uh, thinking of, you know, being in the deep. I was on board a submarine, and not that we had windows to look out, but being in the deep is something. I remember one of the most neat things I've ever done in my life, and I probably have shared this before, uh, being on that submarine when we would surface, 
you would have to have one person, somebody had to do it, and it was uh, uh, the person who, part of a watch standing, you would go up and you would uh, release the first hatch and the pressure would equalize as the boat was kind of, sub was coming out of the water. And then when you got to the service, you would um, you know, open the second hatch that opened up to the elements. And uh, that was like really spooky. And I remember the first time I did it. I wasn't a man of God. And I don't think I was out here praying to God, but my, I was shaking in my boots. Because what, what could be out there? Sharks, whales, octopuses, all these, you know, just all these different things going through my mind. And maybe you've experienced being on the beach and seeing the, the ocean. It is the most incredible thing. But to realize and recognize that God is sovereign. That in, in all of this, God works out his perfect plan. He's the one. He's the creator. He created Israel. They're his people. He did these things all because he delivered them. He wanted to deliver them and to think that God has done this for you and I. The depths that he went to to bring salvation to you and I certainly leads to praise. Verse 11 says, The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows they went, at the shining of your glittering spear. And this certainly speaks of the conquest of the promised land in Canaan, specifically when Joshua's long day. Remember that in Joshua chapter 10, when Joshua was crying out to God, asking the Lord for more light, and what did the Lord do? He caused the sun to be still. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord, and in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ijon. That's the same God that you and I serve. The same God that did that. The same God that delivered the Israelites from Egypt. The same God that delivered you and I from our sin in Christ Jesus. It's the same God. Verse 12, you marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. Joshua leading the Israelites. Verse 13, you went forth for the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. And then Selah, to think upon, chew on this. The whole purpose here, again, salvation. Delivering God's people. God delivered his people. He defeated their enemies. And for you and I, that was established foreshadowing to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus has done for us, that he would be born and that we would be saved from our sin by his blood at the cross. And notice here, the salvation of your people or for salvation with your anointed. And that's, again, foreshadowing. The anointed in, in the Greek is... Uh, Christ, in Hebrew, it's Messiah, all pointing to the person, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ. He's the anointed Messiah. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, as you know, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Colossians 1.13 and 14, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son of his love, 
in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. But again, I think it's important. Salvation has a much, much bigger meaning than just us being saved from sin. It also, certainly for Israel, has a future salvation. We know that God is not done working with his chosen people, that there will be that day of salvation. For you and I, you and I, we're going to be saved from this world, meaning we're already saved in a right position with God, but there's going to be a time that we're no longer here. Amen? Don't let your heart be troubled. Soon and very soon. You thrust through with his own arrows. The head, well, let me back up here real quick, because it's interesting, another foreshadow, you struck the head from the house of the wicked by laying bare from foundation to neck. Remember, in Daniel's vision, the statue of the different kingdoms, remember what the head is, was? Babylon. And remember, God's already told Habakkuk, God was already telling his people that he was going to destroy Nebuchadnezzar, he was going to destroy Babylon. And this could very well be a reminder prophetically of what God was going to do and what God did do. You thrust through with his own arrows, the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard my body trembled, my lips quivered at the voice, rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself that I might rest of the day of trouble. When he comes up to the people, he will invade them with his troops. And again, a response to God's mighty and miraculous works and it's interesting, the physically trembling with the spiritually resting. First of all, why tremble? Well, because Habakkuk recognized that God, he is sovereign. He knows that be standing before God. Again, this is part of having a right perspective of God, that he is holy, he is righteous, he is just. And we are nothing but dust. Man, born into original sin, but in his love, he's redeemed us through his son, Jesus. It's interesting how the contrast is the physically trembling, but the spiritual resting. And you and I can rest in the Lord, even in the midst of worst possible conditions. You know, again, the relevance between what Habakkuk was being shown and what he knew and then having the right perspective of God you point to today, and you see all the negativity. You see a world that is in chaos. You see a country that's divided in every way imagined. You see the church just crumbling. You see, like, the hope of God isn't there. Physically, we see this. Physically, we're on this earth. But spiritually, we rest because of our faith in him, knowing he is faithful to his word. We're certainly not Judah. We're not the Jews, we are the church, and God still has a plan for us. And I hope you, and I know that you do, I don't even have to ask this people the question. You know because you're here. A church plant in the midst of 
the times we're living in, I love it. God has such a sense of humor. And you're here. You're part of it. You're doing God's work. You're, you're trusting in him. We're here. We're going to see God do amazing things. We might have 3,000 people come through the doors. That would be a problem. But it would be his problem. We might have three in the next year. It's up to him. But we're believing that God's going to do a work, that the gospel will be preached, the word of God will be given, people will use their gifts, and God would be glorified. And then when it's his time, he'll say, come on, it's time. And we'll say amen. We're ready. Take us. But we got to have God's perspective. And that's how we can rest in him. Verse 17 says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Verse 17 is about disappointment. It's about surviving disappointment. Again, Habakkuk was facing the coming destruction of Babylon, the invasion. Things were going to get worse. It didn't seem like there was much hope for the nation. This is God's people. And again, all this we, we can relate to. But we don't have to be gloom and doom. There's a lot of things in this world that gets me gloom and doom. When my people that I vote for don't win, when my favorite football team loses to the team up north, that's brutal. But in the grand scheme of things, it's nothing. But on a more serious note, the real disappointments that come in life, when we go through some kind of suffering, and maybe we are like Habakkuk, Lord, why, why aren't you intervening in their life? Why aren't you intervening in my life? I have faith in you, God. I believe just as you healed the man with the withered hand, you can bring healing to me. Why am I going through this suffering? Where's the joy that I say that I have? Where's it at? It's a wonderful thing that our joy in the Lord is not based on any circumstance of this earth that we live on or the feelings that we might have. The joy of the Lord is rooted in God's faithfulness and what he's done through the cross, that he's given us a life, a life with him. Habakkuk, he's got the perspective of God. He's going through the struggle. He's called out to God. He's heard hard things from God. And it all, he says this, again, circumstances didn't change. Judgment was coming, yet he can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. In the final verse, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. And he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my string instruments. It's interesting that a deer doesn't defend or protect itself because it has no capacity to, other than to just run off. 
The only thing a deer can do is to just swiftly run off into nature. And what Habakkuk is being reminded here and what God wants us to know that we like, you know, he will make my hind, my feet like deer's feet is that we have nowhere to go but to him. And it's in him we have life. It's in him that we have freedom, trusting in him. And God gives this to us. I don't know how the Lord is speaking to you through the book of Habakkuk. I know that he is. I pray that you would be encouraged. You know, things will probably get worse here on this earth. But it's going to get much, much better for you and I in eternity. Amen. You know, this book can be a great help for anybody who is discouraged, whether with present circumstances or just having no hope for the future. Our hope isn't in this world, right? Amen. You understand that, right? Our hope is in glory with him. The final thing I will say, the just shall live by faith. God desires that we be revived in our hearts and that there's nothing too difficult for him. We must keep our eyes on the Lord. Amen. Trust in him, believing in him. Nothing's too difficult for him. And that all of us would have God's perspective, the perspective that Habakkuk had. Yeah, the days will get rougher than what we're going through now. They'll get worse, but we will rejoice in the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our time in the book of Habakkuk. You certainly are a God who is faithful. And what joy it is, Lord, to look back upon how you delivered your people, Israel, from Egypt, how you brought them into the promised land, and how you led them to have victory, Lord. And we know from your word, Lord, that those are examples for us living today as the church, as the body of Christ. We're so thankful that we have the Holy Spirit, a helper, a comforter, the one who walks beside us. Oh, Lord, I pray for our church here. Lord, may in our hearts we cry out to you, revive your work, Lord. Do your work through us, Lord. And God, I pray specifically that you would give us your perspective. That we might accomplish all that you want to accomplish through us, Lord. We do it for his glory. We do it for your glory, Father. And we pray for the church in these next few weeks, Lord, that we truly would chew on, meditate, ponder, rejoice, and recognizing the Messiah the one in whom you sent to go to the cross for our sin, that we might have life. And just as you resurrected Jesus from the dead, it's the same power and work that you've done in our hearts, Lord, raising us from the dead, bringing us into the abundant life that you get. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.